episode of Everyone is Cancelled. I'm your host, Dylan Randall, and tonight we have a very special episode. I have my good friend here, Andrew, who is a respiratory therapist. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, and of course, John, as usual, the Capitan. The loyal sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, is, this has been a long time coming. We have a lot going on this past year. In 2021, Everybody's saying goodbye 2020 like that was the end of it. I'm sorry, but numbers don't change viruses. Uh, so we have Andrew here, and he's been working in Southern California on the front lines of COVID. Okay, uh, Respiratory therapists are the people who are really uh, taking care of those who are really sick in the ICU. That's their specialty. Um, and really, I'm just going to let Andrew go off on this episode. I want to hear what his experience is. Um, so first of all, how are you doing, man? How are you holding up? Oh man, it's been uh, it's been an interesting year, <laughs> and yeah, you're right. I mean, just because we're into 2021 now, it hasn't hasn't really changed much. I mean, come on, the virus is still out there. We're uh, very much uh, flooded right now at the hospitals. Um, so it's been it's been nutty. So and yeah, I mean morale. <laughs> has been uh kind of down you know we're we're just we're seeing a lot of a lot of negative stuff around i mean it's a it's a pretty bad virus so so just so our viewers know what is a respiratory therapist what do you do in this in this <clears throat> pandemic so rts are the ones who pretty much uh the doctors will send us in to assess patients and uh, determine whether or not they are ventilating, oxygenating, yeah, whether or not their lungs are working, basically. Uh, and we were there with the patients from the moment they enter the ER. We determine whether they need to stay, whether they need oxygen, how much do they need, are we going to be able to send them home on oxygen, like a, a low liter flow where they can take their own oxygen tanks with them, or do they need a lot more or to the point where we need to admit them, we need to start giving them higher flows, non-invasive ventilation, things like that, all the way up to at some point, uh, many of them require intubation and mechanical ventilation. So we're there through every step of that. And with this virus specifically, because it's a respiratory virus, um, <laughs> we've been really really busy you know like really understaffed really so now do those nutty, methods man. help when you ventilate when you intubate do they seem to help or is it does it seem to almost be, kind of make their body rely on that and stop fighting on its own uh there is an aspect of that for sure even even with uh you know before the virus hit when you when you intubate people um you're starting to, you really change the dynamics of what's happening inside their lungs. We're using positive pressure now instead of negative pressure. When you and I take a breath, our diaphragm drops and it makes a negative pressure, pulls in air. <laughs> and uh, 
So that's that's how our lungs are used to working. But when you hook when when we hook you up to a ventilator, we're pushing the air in. It's a positive pressure. So now your diaphragm is no longer really doing any work. Um, depending on what mode the ventilator is on, by the way, because there are different modes where the patient can trigger a breath, so they're still getting mm. a little bit of work. But uh, yeah, that that actually happens regardless of the virus. Um, you can lose some muscle mass and that's why we uh part of what we do is uh spontaneous breathing trials where every day we will try to take the patient off of sedation wake them up it's very uncomfortable for them because they have a tube down in their trachea but we'll wake them up and uh try to let them breathe on their own and work that muscle uh so so yeah, that definitely happens. Uh, people will lose muscle mass in their diaphragm, makes it harder to breathe. Uh, the longer you're on the ventilator, the worse it'll get. And a lot of these COVID patients end up ventilated sometimes for freaking weeks, months. Yeah, what's the so, time frame on that? Uh, like, what's the uh, what's the red line for having someone on a ventilator? Um, that's a good question. I think it's, I think it's different for everybody depending on your age and how well you tolerate it because we do everything we can to, to, uh, help them improve and get off the ventilator to prevent the breakdown that's inevitable when you're laying in bed for a month. <laughs> we try to turn the patient. We try to, you know, lift their, the head of bed. The, the hospital beds can, change positions and, you know, lift up the, the feet. We put, uh, all kinds of, uh, skin breakdown prevention, like pads and things under the patients. But with this virus, it's when you get as bad as ending up in the ICU and on a ventilator, uh, chances are you're going to be on there for a long time. And that's kind of what starts to starts to get these people is that slow breakdown that happens when we're just, we're waiting for your lungs to recover, but right. the, the rest of your body is just kind of. Well, ventilators seem like they are kind of a, like the last line of defense against actually losing the patient. Yep. What what are some of the signs people can look for where they should start thinking about, Hey, uh, my shortness of breath is a little bit, you know, where I, maybe I should have some medical attention. Because I think part of the problem right now is that people are like, they, they test positive for COVID, and the minute that they are breathing hard, they head to the hospital. Yeah, that's and, a really as, good point, as, actually. As a, um, you know, I'm, I had uh, sports-induced asthma for most of my childhood that was brought on by pneumonia. So okay. being, you know, having a shortness of breath is, is not, it's not foreign to me, and it doesn't panic me, but at the same time, you know, if I walk into the bathroom and I'm having a hard time breathing with this virus, um, but my skin color's good and I'm not dizzy, you know, at what point do you, do you kind of pick up the red phone and, and make that call? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um, so one of the things that I don't, I don't know if, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I guess a lot of people wouldn't have access to a a pulse ox. Do you have one, John? A pulse oximeter? Uh, <clears throat> no. The <laughs> I have uh, I have two fingers to take my pulse with, and uh, I look in the mirror uh, and make sure that I'm not blue. 
There you go. And I mean, that. <laughs> so I we're kind of spoiled in the hospital, I guess, because uh, we've got access to pulse oximetry, so we can. And a lot of people have these in their homes. You can buy them off of Amazon for pretty cheap, but it's just it clips on your finger and tells you what your oxygen saturation is. And that's a really good uh, indicator. Uh, you want to keep that above 90. If it drops down into the 80s, it's not the end of the world. Um, but if it sustains down in the 80s, um, that's a problem. You you would need supplemental oxygen at that point. So we use the pulse oximeter at home, though, without access to that. Um, you, can, you can see how short of breath you are. Um, you know, can you get up and walk to the bathroom still, or are you completely winded? If you sit down, do you recover, you know, um, or is it just sustained shortness of breath? And how many word win- uh, words can you say in a sentence? Like, but that's kind of one of the things we look at. Like, are they saying like three word sentences? Like, I yeah, can't breathe, you know, like, <laughs> they're, they're like a, a long pause between words having a hard time getting the sentence out without recovering things like that. Those are, those are big indicators that you need oxygen at that point. You need medical attention. Um, what else? Yeah. Those, those are some of the main things. What's the survival rate. Once you get to the ICU, once you're there, would you say it's, I mean, for the average person, all ages considered, um, or is it drastically different Mm. for people over 60? Once you get to the ICU, is it how bad is it? What's uh, what's the prognosis look like for most people? Um, I can give a little bit of opinion on that. I didn't. I I don't know the uh, specific numbers. Uh, I don't know if anybody has uh, all the data right now. Um, and that's all this is. Just for everybody listening, this is uh, Andrew's opinions and observations. He is not. Yeah. Uh, telling everybody what they need to be doing. It's from his standpoint. Um, just just for the record. Yeah. So, I mean, the uh, the older you are, the the lower your chances are of getting off that ventilator um, is what I've seen firsthand. Uh, we've had a few, like, 20 to 30-year-olds that have ended up on the ventilators. Uh, it's pretty rare, though. I've only seen maybe two at my hospital. And how did everybody they do? else? Um, actually, one of them, one of them did fine. Was able to get extubated. The other one, uh, I won't go into too many details, but uh, they were young, uh, about thirty-two years old, and they ended up just not recovering. Man, they too uh, bad. they didn't make it off the vent. So, and with the older you get, it I've noticed that it's just you got a lower chance of getting extubated. It's not impossible. You there there are people who get extubated and end up doing okay. But hmm. uh Now, yeah. what's the difference between methods uh when the pandemic first started versus how you're using ventilators now, how you're treating patients now? Is it drastically different? It hasn't been uh, too different. Uh, we're, we've just been doing what we can from the start. Uh, there have been a few changes. Um, 
At my facility, we like to use a protocol uh, that's been around since like the 70s, actually. I think it started around Vietnam. So it's called ARDSNET protocol. Uh, it's pretty interesting. So back in the war, back in Vietnam, when uh, soldiers were being shot and injured out in the like forests, out in the jungles and things, uh, they would get really bad infections, and that's what ended up killing them. They'd get, they'd go into respiratory distress. That's what uh, ARDS is, yeah, ARDS stands for. But the lungs would get stiff. Basically, they'd they'd be like, uh, like almost like a your liver. Hepatic is what they call it. Hepatic lung, because it's hard. It's stiff. It's like solid. Uh, it's from all the inflammation that the uh, infection is causing. Uh, so basically, they uh, came up with a protocol to help um, help these people survive the ventilator. Because when we were trying to use a ventilator in a normal way on these patients, uh, it ended up doing more damage to their lungs. When you're trying to give them a full breath, like uh, we could determine the breath size that you should have based on your height. Uh, and gender. So you probably take a 500 ml breath, like half a liter breath every time you breathe. So about 12 to 20 times a minute, you're breathing, you know, half a liter breaths. And we, de we determine all that and set that up on the ventilator. But uh, with these patients, we have to use, we've been using ARDSNET, which is lower volumes. So we're giving them very small breaths, but we're going up on the respiratory rate Sometimes we're having them breathe 35 times a minute rather than 12, but with small breaths, 100, 200 milliliters. Um, and that seems to protect the lungs. Lower pressures um, prevents more inflammation. Now, why is that? Do the lungs almost get stiff and shatter like glass? What's going on there when they flex too much? So what happens is the the lungs are starting to get inflamed right so if you <laughs> i don't know if you ever like burn your arm or or get injured you notice that your your skin starts to swell right because that's like a response that your body has uh just send fluids send nutrients send things to that area it's it's a response and in this case with covid it it a lot of times does more harm because your lungs have a bad infection <laughs> this pneumonia going on inside them hmm and uh, your body starts sending fluid to the lungs. That fluid starts to make the lungs stiff. And then once we put them on a ventilator and start forcing breaths, um, the alveoli is what they're called, the little air sacs in your lungs. They're microscopic. There's millions of them. But there's these little, um, like, bubbles in your lungs, and that's where gas exchange happens. That's where oxygen goes into the body. CO2 comes out. Those start to uh, swell up. And if we're giving big breaths, they will kind of like recoil at the end of the breath and collapse on wow. themselves. So all these alveoli are collapsing. It's called atelectasis. Um, and basically those sections of the lungs are no longer working. You know, Have we they, seen they this don't. before? I mean, I guess if there's a name for it, the medical community has seen that before. But how familiar is the medical community with this uh, phenomenon? 
Um, respiratory therapists certainly are, and doctors. Yeah, we've seen it a lot. Uh, atelectasis is uh, very common with pneumonia um, and asthma as well. Like a, a lot of lung diseases cause atelectasis, COPD. So it's definitely something we've we've seen a lot, and it's uh, once you mix it with this virus, though, it's 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 just a a bad combination. So like, yeah, you can have atelectasis and do some breathing treatments. There's there's a few uh, devices we use to fix it. There's incentive spirometry, which is where you take a deep breath through this tube and make the little ball float up. It's like a little game. We pass them out to patients. Yeah, I've done that patients. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of people are familiar with that. So we'll do incentive spirometry to help them take deep breaths and open up, you know, recruit that, that lung space that's collapsed. Um, there's also positive pressure things where you're, you're breathing through a device that uh, adds resistance. So it's like you're breathing through a straw and that back pressure pops open your lungs. So we can treat atelectasis, um, but once you mix atelectasis with this really bad inflammation in your lungs and the virus that's causing more secretions, you know, more mucus, more fluids, uh, dead skin cells that slough off in your lungs and things like that, it turned up, you know, just gunk in your lungs. Once you mix all of that together, that's that's what really hits these people hard. Hmm. So do you think that we're getting better, the medical community, I should say, is getting better at treating this as a whole? Or do you think the the treatment is the vaccine? Good question. So at this point, um, I feel like we were kind of at like a, uh, uh, like a, a barrier. I, I feel like we haven't made a lot of progress as far as the patients that get on the ventilators. Like, what can we do to really get them off? I think there's a lot of research and advancement that still needs to be made. As far as before they get on the ventilators, I feel like we are improving a little bit. Um, we're trying to keep these patients on high flow oxygen rather than putting the tube down in their lungs. Uh, so we'll put like a, we've got high flow nasal cannulas that can blast oxygen into your nose at up to like 60, 70 liters per minute. So uh, <laughs> we'll strap that to your face and crank that sucker on. And yeah, a lot of people were, were using that on, we're using BiPAP, which is a uh, non-invasive ventilation. That's Basically, we strap a mask to your face that has a seal, so it's kind of sealed onto your face, and uh, it blasts air into your nose and mouth as wow. well. Mm. And people who have uh, sleep apnea are probably kind of familiar with this with a CPAP machine. Um, those are uh, those are like a lower pressure version of what the BiPAP can do. Right on. It, this um, what did you say this protocol was? ARDSNET, A-R-D-S-N-E-T, so yeah. That's uh, Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, but what's the NET? Is that is that an acronym too? Or? The NET is part of, no, it's an uh, organization, I think, that uh, that came up with it. So like a, let's see, let me look it up really quick. 
Yeah, right now. The best part about the internet. You're like, Heck yeah. <laughs> Network like... formed to study the treatment of acute respiratory distress syndrome. So yeah, I think it's it's just an organization. Um I'm not sure which hospital or which uh, which organization wrote the protocol, but a lot of research was done to determine uh, how protective the uh, <laughs> the techniques they were using were for these patients, these ARDS patients. Hmm. So a lot of hospitals use ARDSnet. Uh, it's all the RTs are familiar with it. Yeah, the the collapse of of these uh, alveoli is that. Is that recoverable? Will they, will they repair themselves over time or replace themselves? Yeah. So that's going to come down to uh, there are treatments. I, I mentioned the incentive spirometry and things like that will reverse it uh, a lot of times. So will positive pressure therapy, things like uh, we've got these easy pap or uh, acapella, these different devices that basically look like funky little horns that you blow through <laughs> to, to make a positive pressure in your lung. Free to... cola. <laughs> exactly. We send you home with that sucker. <laughs> that big old 12-foot-long horn. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, there are treatments for, for the atelectasis that uh, you can reverse it with. Um, so... It's not always. There, there are. That's another thing I kind of want to dip into a little bit is uh, – there are patients who who get permanent lung damage, though. Like hmm. sometimes, just the de- the what what happens is the scar tissue will start to develop if if you take <laughs> you know if you take too much damage in your lungs, you can start to develop scar tissue, and that's when it's not recoverable. Sometimes they actually have to go in and cut out sections of your lung. Uh, decortication, I think is what they call it, and uh, let healthy lung fill in that space. So at that point, there are surgeries that can fix it, but uh, mm. the scar tissue is something that you do not want. And if you're on the ventilator for months at a time, it's going to be pretty much inevitable, I think. Just as a really left-field wild question uh hypothetically if somebody was on their deathbed i mean they're losing their battle their lungs are completely compromised mm-hmm. uh could they hypothetically get a lung a lung transplant to save their life uh yes so that uh patient that i mentioned earlier the 32 year old mm-hmm. we were trying to get that person a lung transplant um they're hard to come by <laughs> You notice I said the 32-year-old, not the 70-year-old. Uh, right. Because uh, they're going to determine whether you whether you are qualified. You know, there's there's age and cancer. Or are you a smoker? Are you a drinker? There's there's people who who uh, who need a lung transplant, but they're they're heavy drinkers. They have a history of that, and that uh, knocks them out of qualification. So. Um, but yeah, there are people getting lung transplants. We don't do them at my hospital though. So I don't know what the outcomes are. I'm sh- I'm sure it's helped some people, but wow. a lung transplant is a, <laughs> it's a pretty intense thing. It is. And you're, you're going to be taking immunosuppressive medications for the rest of your life because your, so body, that your body doesn't sort yeah. of reject it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. 
So that's a so, that's a battle in itself. <laughs> what would you say the overall feel is here in Southern California? In your, are you working in the ICU itself still? I know you were in the past. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of all over the place right now. Like, so how RTs, crazy is it? Is it because I'm reading the news, but yeah. you're there, you're on the front lines. I I'm very curious on how insane it actually is. On a scale of one to insanity it's beyond insanity at this point dude really it's crazy yeah it's uh we are so overrun just short-staffed we have over 100 pa- uh, covid patients in my hospital right now but some of the other ones around uh i'm pretty close to loma linda and they're they're pretty much at capacity <laughs> um yeah, it's getting uh, kind of dangerous almost uh, for RTs because we have a, a typical workload, you know, like pre-pandemic times, we used to take a certain number of patients so that we could have time to see them all. Be like, okay, I can take these these four ventilators or three ventilators, you know, we we wouldn't we wouldn't give ourselves uh, too much work because you know you got to have time to see each patient and assess assess their needs um, but at this point man we're <laughs> we're getting dozens <laughs> it's just it's insane now, like I'm trying to take care either. of seven eight ventilators some nights and and they're all very critically ill wow. and I'm just running dude it seems it's, like it would be impossible for you to give them the care that you were able to give them before when you had fewer patients it seems like care has to have taken a step down the quality yeah, of it. Yeah. Yeah, this is true. Um that's that's why I, I'm saying it's kind of dangerous. Like I, I don't wanna put myself in a position where I could uh neglect a patient and lose my license or something like that. That would be that'd be terrible. But it's scary. Uh, that's that's almost what we're getting to with, with how many patients we're trying to see every night and you know this this guy could be needing a lot more oxygen, but I'm stuck with another ventilator. Like a, a lot of times we'll have to pull them off the ventilators and use a, an Ambu bag is what it's called to manually, you know, you squeeze the bag and, and make them breathe. Hmm. <laughs> Sometimes we have to use that if they, if they really get critical and the ventilator isn't even working. That's Ambu like, bag so, short for like an ambulance bag, what they use. No, I, Ambu is a brand. Uh, oh, okay. they, they produce this bag that the, the like proper medical term is a bag valve mask. So huh. it's just okay. that it's just that funky little bag that we hook up and squeeze. But so if you were president, uh what what, what changes would you put into place to make it easier on you as an RT to 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 give patients the quality of care that you think they truly deserve and need? Oof. Let's not that you're not giving see. them that care, but just hypothetically. No, yeah. Man. This is a difficult uh <laughs> situation we're in, man. I don't I don't even know. I mean, we we have gotten help. We we have access to a lot of ventilators. Um and but yeah, as far as like what we could do specifically maybe some kind of incentives for healthcare workers you know um 
to uh, get more of them in the field, but that's a long process. All the RTs that are graduating right now are pretty much going straight into work because uh, everyone's short-staffed at this point. So hospitals are trying to hire more, but there's only so many of us, you know. Now, even if you had a, the right amount of RTs, do you, do you, do we have enough facilities to even house them, or do we need more of those too? Um, even if temporary. So yeah, yeah, I think uh, that would definitely help. Would you say it's National uh, Guard time? It's time to call them in. Um, it it would depend on the plan that uh, that we have. Like, would they be building facilities for us? Like, you uh, know, I don't know. I've heard you know they they would put ships off the coast to ha- to mm-hmm. create makeshift hospitals, um, just okay. to create more beds. I know that's one thing that they can do. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm sure they could come up with something for an emergency deployment. Um, yeah. So, you know what, thinking of, uh, thinking of that, I, I feel like one of the things that everybody could use, um, would be more oxygen, more oxygen concentrators. So we can just send people home that don't need to be in the hospital. Hmm. Um, Interesting. I feel like, yeah, more of those would be useful. Um, you know, send those out to people who, who need them, uh, to keep them from coming in. I mean, even if, if they sent out like pulse oximeters so people could monitor like, Oh, I'm still in the nineties or whatever. Uh, you know, my oxygen isn't that low. I could stay home. It's actually <laughs> an like interesting that, idea. That might help. Uh, yeah, but I don't know. That's now, uh, that's one of the reasons a lot of people are stuck in the hospitals because they need the oxygen. They have to stay here. Yeah, I've heard in El Paso they're calling it the pit. They're pretty much saying. I heard a story that everybody in the ICU goes there to die, and that one patient Oof. survived. Uh, and it was like the doctor's wife or something like that. Is that how you guys see your ICU at this point? Is it a sort of pit of just death? I mean, how bad is is it when you're sent to the ICU? Yeah, I mean, so at my hospital, we ended up splitting, uh, we ended up building a new ICU just for these COVID patients. Um, so <laughs> right now we're so full though, that we've had to add ventilator patients to other areas of the hospital, the, the areas that typically would never have a ventilator in them. Like mm-hmm. the nursing isn't isn't trained with ventilators. Um, so we're having to stretch our T's out to, to go run the ventilators to random areas. So I could be taking care of a ventilator down on second floor and having to run up to fifth floor to take care of another one. It's insane. But, uh, about the pit, man, uh, we do have a, a COVID ICU specifically for the worst, uh, COVID patients, the ones with the worst reactions, the, the most damaged lungs, the ones who are on the ventilators getting very high levels of care and sedation and medication. And yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's pretty dire in there, man. It's, uh, would you say now, are they sharing rooms? Is there anything to separate them from each other? Because I read early in this pandemic, I don't know if it's true. Don't quote me on this, but it, it seemed, 
that there was a study that showed people with mild symptoms when they were put in rooms with people who had multiple people who had COVID that the people with mild symptoms got COVID worse. Is there any truth to that? To that, Do you see? Are there people sharing rooms that seem to get worse when they're exposed to other COVID patients? Does it seem to multiply or is that something that uh, the hospitals aren't too worried about? Yeah, so uh, we do have patients sharing rooms. Absolutely. Um, what we try to do, though, is uh, if you just show up, and, and this is going to change hospital to hospital, their protocol and their policy or whatever. But when you show up and you test COVID positive, we put you in an area with other people who are at a similar um, level of care. So maybe you just need oxygen and the guy next to you also just needs a little bit of oxygen, like a two to three liters or whatever. Hmm. So we, okay. we try to do that. We try to put people around other people who are at a similar health level. Um, once you get into the ICU though, yeah, you can get paired up in a, in a room with another patient, but, but typically at that point, they're also just as bad as, as you are. So that's going to be different in every hospital though. So I have heard of hospitals that just stagger people out and like put COVID people around and there's, there's non COVID people who are nearby or, or next door. And I think hospitals should absolutely avoid doing that. Um, so do you think just as a hypothetical opinion that you may have, uh, do you think there could possibly be any truth to that? Uh, the multiplication theory. Um, Mm, I'm I'm feeling like no. Okay. I I feel like once you get the virus, your body is going to decide what happens next. Um, Because the virus is going to start multiplying regardless. Um, If if you're like right next to somebody who's coughing and sneezing all over you or something, yeah, that's that that probably would make you worse. Um, Wow. But. We, we do distance them and we have a curtain in between them and uh, we also have negative pressure in all these rooms. That's, that's one of the cool oh. responses that we've, that we've gotten. Uh, <laughs> so it's sort of like a vacuum, would you say? Yeah. When we, when we built the new ICU and a lot of these rooms, we had to throw in these big units, these uh, negative pressure, like huh. that's really fans cool. and they suck all the air out of the room. Now, would you say so, that's had a, a positive and a noticeable effect? I'm sure it has, yeah, okay. because this ICU we built, the entire unit is negative pressure. So when you walk up to it, um, you can kind of feel like the air moving past you, like it's sucking towards the ICU, not blowing out of it. Um, so I think that does help. I think it keeps the particulates down and whatnot. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Now, have you had to dissociate yourself <laughs> just to survive? I mean, from the patients, is it is it something I know maybe some cops can be like that or people in emergency services, they at a certain point, just to keep their sanity, they have to sort of dissociate themselves from the victims. They care, but they can't invest themselves emotionally too much or they would not be able to sustain their ability to do their job. Do you find yourself in that position or are you able to keep um, are you able to sort of connect with the patients or is it just you don't have enough time with them to do that? What's the situation there for you? Oh man, it's a little bit of a mixture of that. Um, I, you're right. Like I, I try not to 
uh, get. I hate to say this, man, but we see a lot of of patients that are just going to die. Like it's it's it gets difficult, and like, do I want to? You know how how much of a uh, connection do I want to build with with this person? You know, it it could be very taxing on you emotionally. I mean, it is. You know, I'll be I I try to be personable and you know I, I like to chat with people chat with my patients and whatnot but because they can't I, see their families still right 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 we we do have skype set up uh so they can't call them on on skype and things like that so you're the only human contact they have pretty much yes yeah. so it almost puts an extra job on you that were you trained for that were you trained in psychology or anything to be able to take on the emotional burden of people trying to, because I imagine, I imagine they try to connect with you a little bit because that's how humans are. They're social and they don't have mm-hmm. that with their families. Do you, have, do you have any training to handle that or is it just something you're kind of winging at this point? Uh, no, no, don't really have any training on it. Yeah. So, I mean, it is kind of, uh, it, it's something that, that the individual kind of builds up as, as a healthcare professional you know how um it's called bedside manner you know how do you interact with your patients and things like that so yeah we don't receive a lot of specific training on that it's something that you build up over time um but yeah at this point i mean i feel like (laughs) i feel like a lot of the healthcare workers are going to end up uh some of them with like like uh PTSD medications in the future, man, because right. it's it's been nuts. Like all the all the negative things that that we're exposed to, um, just all the death and and you know, it's just it gets you thinking a lot and not good for your mental health. I don't think. <laughs> I would hope uh, that would be because I would imagine. Do you feel that you do you? Because I know you have. I would imagine you have, but do you feel that you've had a hand in saving lives on the flip side of that coin? Uh, yeah. yeah. And so if that's... so, as you do, did, do you feel that balances out sort of the sadness and the emotional toll that goes with, you know, the downside of this pandemic, those who don't make it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have seen that. Um, one, of the, one of the things I enjoy about work is uh, part of what we do is uh, ABGs is what it's called, arterial blood gas. So RTs will go and draw blood from an artery, a uh, little different than a vein, because it comes arteries come straight from your lungs, uh, and you can determine how well their lungs are working with that blood sample. So what I'll do is uh, draw blood, run it in the lab, see how it looks, make changes on the ventilator, make changes to their oxygen level and then draw again run it again and see an improvement and and that's a rewarding experience to to be able to objectively uh see my uh my effect you know that uh, wow. that change in modality had on that patient or or whatever so i i do see that and i i get a uh a reward from that but on the flip side there's <laughs> there's so many critically ill patients that sometimes you're you're making changes you're you're trying 
to improve their situation and it's it's just not happening yeah it's tough yeah it's kind of it's a little off balanced right now i think the uh there's a lot of negativity there is some positivity but i feel like it's a little off balanced really so you would say that you would say the bad is worse. i mean it sounds like a general statement that everybody's already accepted but you would say um that it just seems like there's more negative than positive at this point on some fronts. Yeah. Yep. I'd say that, man, unfortunately. So where do you see us going this, this year in 2021? I mean, I hear rumors. Well, it's not rumors. It's documented cases of a new strain in California and Florida and UK. Uh, Yeah. That South African strain. Um, So what I've seen from the, uh, uh, from the vaccine companies is that they're pretty confident that their vaccines will still work against the new strain. Really? Still the same virus, just a mutation and it's more contagious. Uh, yeah, because, 70% more contagious. I yeah. I, th- I think the, the mutation caused it to have more of the protein spikes. So it's called the coronavirus because it looks like a crown. I mean, it's round and it has spikes. <laughs> mm. Those spikes, those proteins are what lets it get into your cells. And so if a strain, if a mutation happens where it has a bunch more of those spikes, then it's more likely to get into your cells. Those are like keys that get, get it into your cell. So, yeah, same virus though. So I'm. that's why the uh, vaccine companies are confident that the vaccine will still be effective against it. But uh, it's kind of something we have to wait to see. Now, I don't know how much – I know you've learned a little bit through the education system, but how, I don't know how much vir- virology and epidemiology you know, but how aggressive is this virus when compared to some of the other aggressive viruses we've had to fight? Do you see this just changing and just becoming more and more lethal to us, or do you see us getting ahead of this? Or are we going to be in what... masks for the rest of our for, for the rest of our lives? <laughs> Man, that's uh, that's what a lot of people are wondering right now, um, and it's difficult to difficult to predict because um, we've got viruses that yeah we just live with them, you know, like the flu. Right. It it mutates so often that uh, you can't really make just one uh, one vaccine to kill it off permanently. Um, and I hope that's not what happens with this coronavirus, but it, it very well could be where we're making a new COVID vaccine every year. And now, Hey, you got to get the flu and the COVID shot, (laughs) uh, if, if you vaccinate. Um, so yeah, I mean, I could see that happening. Definitely. What kind of masks are you using in, inside the hospital right now? We have a bunch of different types actually um some of the most common ones are going to be the niosh uh n95s the the green ones i don't know if you've seen those around Um, yeah i think so yeah so those green ones we use a lot with an additional mask on top of it because what we're trying to do is preserve that n95 preserve its uh keep it clean so we put a simple mask over it and we swap out the simple mask every time we go in or out of a patient room. Uh, So we use that a lot. When I'm in the ICU, the COVID ICU, a lot of times I will go full out 
and where the uh, it's called a papper positive air pressure respirator. So it's like the hood covers your whole head, um, and it blows positive pressure into the uh, hood. So so nothing can go in. Air's always blowing out. Yeah, air fed. Yeah, it yeah. to work sometimes. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you wear the belt with it. It's got the little motor and everything. Oh, no, we, we have the fun one that gets attached to a motor separate from... We have uh, a long we have a long hose that connects, but that that mm. wouldn't really work in a hospital. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> tripping over a freaking hose. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. As an as an aside, uh, because the motor is separate, it was a some of my coworkers decided. Well, one in particular decided to have fun with me one day. I don't I don't know if there's I, I am just mischievous at heart. <laughs> I don't know if you guys try and lighten the mood around the hospital or not, but mm-hmm. one day I was I was down in in one of the uh, uh, one of the ballast tanks and there are, um, they're kind of sectioned off with, uh, like, like half bulkheads. So you can climb over them, but you know, they're, they're, um, about five feet tall inside the, the compartment. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was, uh, like five of these bulkheads deep and the guy was decided to blow his cigarette smoke into <laughs> the, the air fed. So, you know, I'm back there. All of a sudden, I'm yeah. smelling this smoke, right? I think the, and I'm I'm using paint that that you know in a matter of minutes would asphyxiate me. You know, it's like I have to have this thing on. Yeah. So I start scrambling out of scrambling out of this tank, right? Because I I just assume that the motor's on fire for whatever reason, and I come like barreling out of the hatch, and you know they're all just laughing. I'm like, I had. I had two dozen bruises, you know, on my knees and arms. Getting out he proceeded of to punch each and every one of them in the mouth <laughs> yeah. repeatedly I, after that. I was, I was mad. The, the violence, the violence was much more passive. But, but yeah, yeah, it's yeah. hilarious. So yeah. yeah, actually, we do, uh, we do see some of that in the hospital. I feel like that's part of like, a, um, like a therapy almost. You know, we try to lighten the mood, like you said, for sure. Uh, we try to kind of joke around a little bit. We can't we can't take it too far in the hospital setting. So you're saying you don't blow cigarette smoke into the ICU <laughs> to light your mood? Uh, we we try not to do that. We only do that on Wednesdays. Uh, I I took a class in uh, in I yeah. had a psychology class that that dealt with um, severe behavior disorders, and a lot of that was due to like a, a lot of um, uh, just just brain. You know, they they were never gonna. There, there was no cure. These these kids were just like really way out on the spectrum, and it was mm-hmm. just these uh, these facilities that would care for them. And the professor who had you know been in charge of these patients for a long time was very clear in saying, "Look, you go to the lunchroom. It is okay to make fun of these kids. Like if people are making fun of these kids, don't don't take a moral high ground on them." You know, that's part of coping is, Mm -hmm. um, is finding, finding humor in an inhumorous situation, you know, as, as inappropriate as it may sound. Um, I think, I think, you know, we have to relax a little bit and be, you know, if, if someone's drooling and it looks funny or it just, I think it's important for healthcare workers to understand amongst themselves that that kind of humor, if it, 
and understanding that it's not malicious, but it is a coping mechanism. And I think that's mm-hmm. an important um, distinction to make. It is it is very important for you guys to keep your mental health um, in check. Uh, I mean, just what you're describing is horrific. And there's, yeah. you know, your you coming out of this um, alive is as important as your patients. And, and that, that means that you can go on and, and continue in your career without having to talk about PTSD with, with a professional. And, and so, you know, that's why, you know, I often get ridiculed at work for, for making, for being inappropriate. And it's, it's never vulgar, but I do kind of point out, you know, some funny things that, you know, people eye roll, but at the end of the day, um, it's important. And, you know, I've talked to firefighters, they do the same thing. They make jokes about, you know, car fires, you know, using a spatula to peel the guy off the seat. I mean, it's just like, We've all heard the term cop humor. Yeah, there's yeah, something to it. You have to be able to cope with it. And it's something that um, I think, uh, I, we, you know, it's not anything that I think you need to share. But I think that for the, the rest of the folks listening, you need to understand that if you overhear something like that, you need to take a step back and remove yourself because um, what you guys are doing uh, right now, what you're dealing with on an emotional level is just as dangerous as the virus itself. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with That's you there. That's an interesting uh, point. <laughs> and I've seen that, uh, yeah, people are coping with it in different ways, but we're trying to keep morale up. We try to joke around a little bit. A lot of, a lot of nurses are doing TikToks and stuff, which I haven't done, but I, I have the, seen. I see the dancing ones. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. But it's like, that's. <laughs> hey, you know, this, if it it's ups your coping, morale, right, it's a coping yeah. mechanism, you know. Yeah, look at what we're dealing with. You know, I've been so sick I have for seen six criticism. weeks. I've been sick for six weeks, and uh, the only you, thing that gets me by through the day is convincing TikToks. my family members that I'm dying. It's the only thing that brings me happiness. Most of them think I'm already dead. Uh, it, it brings me joy. It's, it's kind of the last thing I'm I'm clinging on to. Uh, John thought I was dead until we started this podcast today. It's because I, I, I told him did, I was dying. Yeah. No, it, I'm kidding. But I, I'm waiting to get tested. It's just been the sniffles. I think it might be a sinus infection. Uh, it's been harder nah, to get dude, tested you got, than I thought it would be. You got it's the cancer. COVID for sure. You got to keep it light. Yeah. You got to be able to joke around. He'll be dead yeah, within a week. Important. Ebola. Yeah, I, th- this is my last podcast. Yeah, I'll take over. It's Me and John can uh, handle it. Yeah, it's 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 not diarrhea. It's Ebola. <laughs> it's it's Ebola COVID. <laughs> Ebola COVID. It's uh, yeah, it's Somali pirate COVID. <laughs> That's that new COVID strain out of South Africa. It's mixed with Ebola. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, yeah, so, what would you say is a good way to prevent this? Uh, and. Andrew, what what would you give? What advice would you have for anybody who's not sick, who hasn't been sick yet, or is recovering? Man. Would you just say basic sunlight, exercise, eating healthy, social distancing? Uh, yeah. So definitely, uh, proning has been very helpful in the hospital. Uh, I think self proning is uh, very much uh, encouraged because. I don't know how much you guys know about that. Have you heard about yeah, the what proning? Is pro- what is self-proning? No, just lay it out because it, I don't think a lot of people yes. even know what that means. So uh, 
a lot of times when people get sick and, and if it hits them hard enough, you know, you're run down, your body's fighting this and you're out of energy, you feel like crap. And uh, a lot of times what people will do is they'll just sit in bed and uh, they'll just lay on their back in bed, bunch of pillows and try to write it out. And sometimes it works. But with this virus, it's a respiratory virus. It starts attacking your lungs, right? So a lot of your lung cells are, are taking damage. And when you're just sitting there on your back, um, uh, the pneumonia can start to just accumulate in areas. So a lot of times that's what makes people uh, more sick is they're just sitting there in one position. And so what we do and what we encourage is uh, lay on your stomach, lay on your side, spend hours on your stomach, then hours on your back, flip over, um, allow air to get to all the areas of your lungs. Don't let areas of your lungs just sit and uh, become atelectatic, that that uh, condition we were talking about earlier when the alveoli start to collapse. That'll happen if you're just if you're just laying in one position trying to ride out the virus. And, and a lot of times it's difficult to keep on top of proning and things because you just feel like garbage. But I definitely would encourage people to, to do that. Lay on your stomach, change your position, walk around a little bit. Don't, don't overdo that though. Uh, if you're short of breath, you should definitely just try to stay in bed, but don't just uh, stay stagnant either. Um, as far as, uh, medications man i would just stay up on like vitamins i think sunlight is definitely an important thing for sure uh as well but vitamin c vitamin d would uh, you, zinc would you push um uh filtered cigarettes over unfiltered cigarettes hmm <laughs> <laughs> oh man pushing cigarettes huh yeah <laughs> Nah, yeah, no, nah, dude. Nah. Quit smoking for sure. Uh, <laughs> if you can. Uh, yeah, but just smoke. Maybe, maybe limiting, maximum limiting like drinking is three big? packs a day. <laughs> yeah, what, what kinds of what kinds of uh, recreational um, activities do uh, people have that really impact their ability to um, dissolve oxygen properly? Hmm. Give me that question one more time. <laughs> yeah, right on. Uh, I'm just trying to think, like, in our daily lives, you know, instead of wearing a mask when we're alone in our cars, um, mm -hmm. what are some more proactive things that we can do to, especially activity-wise? Um, because, I, you know, when you drink alcohol, that limits your body's ability to dissolve oxygen. Um, yeah. Um, it affects it affects the brain, your brain, the way you sleep. Um, but a lot of people have been, you know, going that direction, you know, when locked in their house. And in, in some part, you can't really blame them. It, you know, it's a, an extreme situation and people respond differently. But but like, you know, drinking, smoking, um, these types of things that that are not like, you know, nobody's like, oh, you know what? I can't hate this. I'm going to go do some heroin. You know, we're not, nobody's going to the extreme, but some Wait, of these, you guys don't do heroin. <laughs> some of these, uh, these, you know, these things that we used to do socially, maybe we're doing a little bit more now, uh, because we're isolated. Um, 
Like, I'm just trying to think, like, those are the only two that, that kind of, like, stick out in my head. Um, but I didn't know if maybe there were some others that um, that you knew of that, you know, aren't lung damaging, but but definitely yeah. restrict the lung's ability to do their job properly. Yeah. Um, so I would say smoking, vaping, those are, those are going to be things that, uh, that are going to, you know, do some damage to your lungs over time. Um, do you include e-cigarettes in that too? Yeah. Just because the, uh, pulmonologist that I work with, um, cause there's still a lot of science that, that needs to be, uh, researched behind e-cigarettes. But, uh, one of the pulmonologists I work with, uh, is kind of trying to stay as up to date as he can on what's happening with people who use those all the time. And, uh, he's saying that, uh, you should definitely avoid it, especially now, what about during marijuana? this virus. Because, uh, people see marijuana as, you know, something that's not smoking cigarettes. They, sometimes probably don't even view it as something that's you're smoking. They think it's harmless. Uh, would yeah. you say that marijuana impairs your lungs ability to fight off a virus when you're smoking it? Um, that's another one that's uh, kind of hard to, to uh, give too much on cause there's still a lot of research to be done. But uh, if I had to go out and um, say what I think, I feel like uh, yeah, just your opinion, maybe eating, edibles and whatnot, um, wouldn't do as much damage. Um, any kind of smoke in your lungs is, uh, you could do damage over time. I feel like, I, f- I feel like that's the general consensus, but there's a big difference between smoking, you know, once a week or whatever versus smoking a pack of cigarettes a day or whatnot. Mm, cigarettes true. are just so that nicotine is <laughs> so addictive, man. Now, it's have you heard of N-acetylcysteine, uh, NAC? It's a supplement. Uh, acetylcysteine? N-acetylcysteine. Doctors give it, I hear, in hospitals for acetaminophen overdoses, but there's... Uh, yeah, it's uh, acetylcysteine, I believe. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, I've heard that can actually assist your lungs functioning uh, when you go on a cycle of it for a month or two. Do you know if there's any truth to that? Do you use it yourself? So you, if, yeah, so uh, acetylcysteine... We, uh, we use it a few different ways in the hospital, actually. But yeah, so main ingredient in Tylenol is the acetaminophen. If you're overdosing on Tylenol, you can take acetylcysteine to uh, uh, to combat that that overdose. It'll it'll reverse it. Um, acetylcysteine also has a unique ability in that it is a mucolytic. So. It, uh, it breaks up mucus. So what we do is we, uh, we will nebulize it, make it, we'll put it in a nebulizer and have the uh, patients breathe it. So nebulizer is like a inhaler of sorts? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, it's, it's a, it's one that we hook up to oxygen and actually pour the medication in and it will like aerosolize it into a fine mist and then the patient breathes it through a mask. So. And it smells terrible, dude. <laughs> Acetylcysteine is, it smells like rotten eggs. It's, it does. It's, I have some. It's yeah, gross, been, dude. I've used it on and off for years, and I feel like it has some powerful um, abilities. And I was curious how widely it's been used for COVID. Um, that's so that's interesting. an interesting take. 
Yeah, I've never I, I heard no of people idea. just uh, taking it at home. Actually, I, I didn't know people do that. You're weird. I have done it for years now. <laughs> yeah, it's well. Yeah, I've like, I love that smell. Health forms, you know, and some of the things work. Some of them don't. A lot of these guys kind of use themselves as test rats. But NAC, yeah. what is used for short? You know, that's what people call it for short. Um, okay. I feel like it's helped me stay healthy. Uh, if I'm ever feeling down, I'll use it for a month or two, and it seems to help me. Um, hmm. And I, I, th- I've, I've, it's been something I've thought of that could be used to fight COVID. So the fact that you're nebulizing it, I don't know if that's the correct term, yep. is very yep, interesting. We use it. Um, and I've noticed on the uh, on all the almost all the patients, they usually have that med ordered. So they are getting that med, whether we're giving it as RTs or whether the nurses are giving it um, orally. You know, I think they. I don't know much about how the nurses administer or, you know, handle all the meds because some of them can go IV. Some of them can go through the feeding tube. Others have to be swallowed in pills. So I'm not sure how the acetylcysteine is taken when the nurses give it. But when we give it, yeah, we, we aerosolize it. Now, do you guys give patients vitamin D3? I, am I allowed to ask that? As a, yeah, as a you general? can ask okay. it. I don't. Uh, unfortunately, I don't know, though, because uh, okay. that is a nursing drug. I, I stick with the respiratory stuff <laughs> okay. I now, have you uh, studied d3 at all do you know the effects of it i know it's i understand it to be a hormone and a vitamin and that every mm-hmm. cell of our body apparently uses it and it's basically what creates structures do you think it would i hear everybody talking about how vitamin d is really huge in fighting this do you know if there's any truth to that um what do you think about that i would say probably but as far as have i studied it uh or really looked into it no i just know that I've heard a lot about vitamin C and vitamin D are, are big ones that a lot of people are taking. But so probably couldn't harm us to yeah. try it. No. Nah. Okay. I also, uh, I've heard that you can only metabolize or even like use so many milligrams per day. So I believe if, it's 10,000 IU a day is the max a person can take. I take uh, about 5,000 IU a day. Seems okay. to be a good spot for me. I don't know how much you can metabolize. I know you're not. 10,000 is like the top limit you want to take, period. And uh, I've heard it's good to take with K2, which is hard to get from food. Um, Sounds about right. But that's interesting. Uh, and I know it's fat-soluble. You know, A, D, E, and K are all fat-soluble vitamins, hmm. whereas everything else, I believe, is water-soluble, like vitamin yeah. C. So if you're taking vitamin D out there, according to the research, maybe take it with some fats. And when you're taking vitamin C, maybe take it with some water. Make sure you're hydrated. Um it's just my opinion, what I've read, but that's interesting. Um, yeah. So, John, do you have anything else that you want to ask, Andrew? Is there anything uh, that you'd like yeah, to throw man. out there? Absolutely. I want to put the nail in the coffin on this mask thing because I think <laughs> I think the uh, I think the truth about masking uh, lies somewhere in the middle. I think there's a certain nuance to masking that uh, a lot of people because you get there's you get two extreme there's two extremes to this right you get the people who wear a mask um, to bed, uh, you know, when they're alone in their car, um, and then f- then absolutely lose their mind when they see you without one on, and then, then there are people who, um, like, like somehow wearing a mask it is a fundamental, um, um, in, you know, uh, infestation of their constitutional right to. Uh, and I think that I think that the masks fall somewhere in between. 
I think there are some severe psychological impacts to wearing a mask all the time um, uh, for children and adults. Um, but I also think that in certain situations, if, if you're not too keen on who's around you, um, that it can be appropriate to wear some kind of face covering. I think my personal opinion is that um, the fault in all of this lies solely with the CDC. Their handling of mask information was so poor and negligent that um, that it, it caused this uh, this problem. Like it, it ties to them directly. In the beginning, they said, uh, you know, don't wear a mask, and the reason they said that was so that they could uh, keep mask stores um, up and available for um, for uh, medical personnel. Um, but that's disingenuous because then people said, well, all right, then we don't need to wear masks. But that wasn't really the case. Um, and because they weren't clear on that, what they didn't do was, was say like, hey, um, don't go buy a mask, but here's how to make a suitable mask at home. Mm-hmm. Um, they opted to try and just, you know, <clears throat> guile the public. And it, it really backfired on them. Um, my personal stance is that I, I'm I'm not a masker. I, I I much prefer social distancing. I think it's more effective. Um, but uh, but I was looking to get your opinion on because it, you know it is a spectrum of uh, of opinion, and I think that the the truth about masks and not only you know whether or not you should wear them, but which mask you should be wearing, um, uh, is important. Um, I, you know, and I think it's a, it's going to be a huge topic. It already is a topic. I think it's going to moving forward in, you know, in a society, from a societal standpoint, um, it's going to be a, it's a trigger issue and, and I don't think that it needs to be. So I just wanted to get some, some, your, your, um, professional and personal, uh, observations on it. All right. Yeah. So. Man, uh, what I hear a lot in the hospital is like, <laughs> yeah, I hear a lot of opinions and just people are, a lot of people are pretty fed up with wearing the masks, you know, because here in California, man, we, we have some pretty strict mask mandates. Um, you know, everywhere you go, you got to have one on pretty much. Uh, nobody will let you in a store if you don't have it. Um, and yet we have an insane amount of COVID cases, you know, um, it's spreading everywhere and it, it seems like masks aren't doing much. Uh, so it's kind of hard to, to throw a full opinion out on it, uh, because (laughs) at the same time when I'm in the hospital, uh, I I think the masks are useful because we're around very sick people and you know, it, it could protect you a little bit. Another thing that I think helps me is I have glasses on all the time. Uh, if somebody sneezes or there's droplets, if your eyes are just as receptive as your nose or mouth to to uh, getting that virus. And I think that's something that a lot of people overlook. So, like, if why are we wearing all these masks when our, our, our eyes are still exposed? But I think it does keep the droplets down a little bit. If you're sneezing, coughing, hell yeah, you should wear a mask. Uh, don't go out sneezing and coughing and whatnot if you have symptoms. and uh, You should definitely social distance. Um, if you don't have symptoms, man, I'm, 
it's kind of up in the air, but uh, I think that <laughs> wearing masks all the time is <laughs> it is. Yeah, like, we, we, you quarantine sick people, right? Not yeah. healthy people. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know if if you're uh, if you're more susceptible, you're older, you're immunocompromised, you're feeling sick. Wear a mask. If you're younger and you're feeling sick, still wear a mask. If you're not feeling sick, man, I don't, I don't think it makes a huge difference. Um, now, as a devil's advocate, a lot of people would say, well, a, a vast majority of people are they have no symptoms, so they don't know they have it, but they can still give it to other people. Um, but there's also this famous Dutch study that a lot of these other people on the other side are quoting, saying that masks don't make a difference. Uh, I kind of stand on the middle ground there, um, and I, I'm i not really sure there's a question in there. It's just perhaps there is. I mean, do you see masks just becoming a, a, a way of our society as a whole? I hope not, dude. Uh, it, I don't know how long it's going to last, but uh, at some point I feel like the virus, it's either going to go away, like maybe the vaccine will take it out and we won't even hear about it like like polio we have we don't have very many cases of that anymore where it was like a huge freaking epidemic earlier so i'm hoping that's the result or that's what happens but uh if it ends up being like a yearly flu kind of thing like hey the covid's around again just like the flu uh, masks might be around longer it's it's hard to say um i hope they're not though though because <laughs> because mm. uh i think it's uh i think it it's uh it's hard to socialize and be human when you can't shake someone's hand you can't you can't see their face you can't see their emotion can't that's, trade a uh, smile yeah so. man that's that's got to be damaging to our society so and wasteful. I mean, how many masks are ending up in the street and not in a trash lot. cans? A lot. Uh, how much waste is there? You know, you see them, uh, I, I see them in the waterways. You know, it, there's a yeah. huge impact yep. that this has, and um, <clears throat> I think it's a very interesting point. You can catch this through your eyes. So why are we? Why aren't we just zipping ourselves into Ziploc <laughs> bags and ending it? You know, I yeah. mean, what? Well, this at is what where, point do you stop? Or this is go where. Back? The, yeah, exactly. And this is where people like Alex Jones get a foothold in uh, in people's opinions, right? Because if if the concern was really about the spread of the virus, then they would be covering all aspects of, you know, the ways in which you can become infected. But they're not. They're, they're just pushing masks, which leaves your eyes completely vulnerable. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, if they were really genuine about, about, you know, not spreading this virus, then they would be pushing, like... Um, you know, the face shields, you know, yeah. the big plastic right. face shields. Is it but about they, our protection or their they control? It, and, and that's, and that is the, the linchpin in this is that where in, in the beginning they might have had a good argument for, hey, take these steps so that we can keep hospitalizations down while we get a hold of this thing. But now the way they're treating it, especially governors, um, it's become much more of a control thing than uh, a, a medical issue. It started out a year ago as wear a mask for a little while. And now it's a year later. It's 
alleged <coughs> legislation being proposed in New York, as I hear, to arrest people, to have the ability to arrest people and incarcerate them <laughs> just because they're sick, having that ability by the governor. Yeah, this like is Connecticut, what I've heard. It's Connecticut and New York is in they're we're nuts, dude. They're just uh, nuts. Now, here's the scary thing. Uh you look at California and New York. The things they do are seen as progressive, and the reason that word is used is because going historically, things that are passed in New York and California eventually get passed everywhere else. It doesn't go the other way around. Once you pass a law, it is much harder to repeal it than it is to solidify it as a new law to you know create more legislators. So um, it could be a dangerous sign of things to come. This is alleged. It's an opinion, but it's something to look out for. Um, but anyways, what else you got, John? You got anything else, uh, on your hand? No, man, you notepad there? That's, this is, Andrew? yeah, no, this has been really, really good. And I think we've hit on some really important, um, points in, in this because of Andrew taking the time to sit with us this evening. Yeah, well, it's been interesting. Uh, Andrew's awesome. This has been a fantastic episode. Um, one thing, Andrew, uh, like, where do you, I mean, is this one of these things that, um, like, what do you, are, are there, um, some flags that you look for, red or white or indifferent, that, um, kind of foretell where this is going? Like, are you seeing, um, like, like, what are you seeing that kind of gives you, uh, a clue as to, as to what the future holds for this? this COVID outbreak? Um, so that's a good question. Right now, I mean, we're the, the main uh, thing we have to look at the data, which luckily my hospital hospital I work at has been pretty good at keeping us updated on numbers as far as uh, how many, how many uh, COVID cases there are here in California, how many there are in our County how many COVID patients we have in our hospital and they have a graph set up. So we're kind of tracking all that. Um, the influx, the, the patients who are recovering, the patients who are dying. We, we see all that information on a regular basis in like a graphic form through like daily emails. Um, that's kind of nice to, to track where things are going. So right now, like all I can say is we're at like an all time high of, cases and hospitals are filling up i feel like um and a lot of people have have talked to me about this i feel like it's 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 gonna kill off a lot of people that uh, are immune compromised like that's that's kind of what's happening it's like uh yeah older people are uh are uh having a hard time with this virus and uh you know, is is once once these people are gone, it's it's a horrible thing to think about. But will that slow it down at that point? Um, you know, there's there. So basically, what I'm getting at is there's a lot of ideas. People are just looking at data and kind of saying, you know, yeah, what's going to happen? You know, it could be this, could be that. It could be a yearly thing like the flu. Um, but it's hard to to say like a specific like like this is what's going to happen because every virus is so so different you know some of them uh, aren't yeah, nearly right. as as contagious that's why they talk a lot about uh 
H1N1 and things like that, um, that didn't end up turning into some huge pandemic, but it wasn't nearly as contagious. It didn't spread like this one does. So Now, why do we wear a mask for coronavirus, but not the flu? What's That's- the key differences there? It's a good question, man. <laughs> um, I think the fact that, yeah, this one's pretty contagious and uh, it uh, it does hit people pretty hard. Um, I think that's kind of shocked everyone into wearing masks or an aspect of it at least. Um, but you're right. I mean, we're never going to get rid of the flu. Even if we wear masks at this point, it seems like uh, that's just something that's here to stay. And that might be the same with this virus, depending on, I don't know what's going to happen with the vaccine. If we can achieve like a herd immunity, we're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of interesting stuff this year. <laughs> and, uh, whether you take the vaccine or not, that's another topic in itself. Yeah. Have you come in contact with the vaccine yet? Have you seen, you know, had, have you seen the box? Um, I haven't looked at the box, but, uh, I actually, I did get the vaccine. Call me yeah, crazy, get, man. Let's get the lowdown on that. Let's dig <laughs> yeah, into that. It, let's it, get it your sounds, take on it. It sounds like uh, you're slowly turning into a zombie. So, so so far, my thoughts are in Russian for some reason. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> all of a sudden, you wake up and start speaking Mandarin. <laughs> <laughs> and I hear this like beeping from the injection site, but. Uh, <laughs> Other than that, I mean, I feel great. <laughs> Is it so? Now, do you have go to ahead. go back for a second injection, or I do. So I got the uh, the Pfizer vaccine. That's the two part vaccine. Uh, vaccines are such a freaking topic right now, dude. There's a lot of people who who call me crazy for getting it, but there's also a lot of healthcare workers who who see how bad this virus is, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, my family members a lot, you know? So if the vaccine will prevent me from getting the virus and spreading it to my family, then that's kind of the, uh, the mindset that I have. But like I said, there's a lot of controversy around (laughs) vaccines right now. So, so let's go, let's take this step by step. Um, let's first, I want to hear from you what this vaccine is, because I know it's a new classification of vaccines called an RNA vaccine mm-hmm. uh, that's been messed with before, but it's never really come to fruition, and it has. Um, so first off, what is the vac? What is this new vaccine? So yeah, it's a RNA vaccine, mRNA. Uh, it's really interesting, actually, uh, and I'm not like you guys said in the beginning. I'm not like a I don't have a doctorate in virology or microbiology or any of that, but um, I did have to take micro and all that to to get into respiratory. And uh, I actually, I really like micro. It's, it's an interesting class. Um, but so this virus, uh, every virus pretty much, if I think about it, let's see. So a, a virus is a, uh, is just a piece of genetic information. It's really interesting to think about. It's not uh, really alive, you know? Like, you and me, we have cells working inside of us, organs that are working inside of us. 
even bacteria have organelles that do jobs and they're they're alive they they need to take in nutrients they need to metabolize um they they kind of do their own thing a virus is just a tiny scrap of code it's like a piece of genetic information rna or dna that's encased in a protein capsule and it just floats around and if it gets inside a cell that rna that piece of information gets read by the ribosomes in your cell to produce more of the virus so viruses are weird man they're it's like they're not even really alive they're just this information that's floating around in in the form of of dna or rna so what they've done if you if you took a a human's dna um you know you stretch out that that dna it's about it would be about six feet long and within those six feet there's about twenty five thousand segments and those are genes and those are what get read by cells in your body and they, they you know there's a segment of your dna that tells your body how to make your left big toe or whatever the the human dna even down to like snails and plants is, is very complex a virus's dna is is just a snippet it's tiny it just it just shows hey make these proteins these protein spikes and and you know this this protein that encapsulate it encapsulates it it's, it's very simple um but what they've done is they've taken the segment of RNA. I'm going way down a rabbit hole. I hope you guys That's are. Good. <laughs> I hope you guys are it. not getting bored with this. Uh, no, this is fantastic, man. Keep on going. <laughs> science lecture now. Basically, they they take a segment of the RNA from the virus that makes that protein spike that the virus has. The, the spikes on the crown. They're like, okay, they've isolated this segment of genetic information that tells your cells to make that protein and they inject you with it so now your cells and there's a few more things that go into it but because there's a, a lipid layer that the uh, RNA has to have in order for it to get into your cells it's kind of weird so the vaccine basically has little segments of RNA encased in a lipid and yeah they inject that into you it gets into your cells. Your cells start reading the segment of RNA and start making. It's like a recipe book, but the cells only have one page. Like you got the whole book to make the virus. And if that gets in you, your your body will start making the full virus. And that's what starts destroying your cells because the full virus breaks out of your cells, takes a part of the skin of your cells with it. It's really bizarre. And it, it starts killing your cells. And then that immune response, inflammation fills your lungs. And that's what really gets you. But if you teach your cells not to make the whole virus, you just give it one page of the recipe book just to make the protein spike on the virus. It won't destroy your cells, but you will still get an immune response to it. Your body will see all these protein spikes floating around. Like, what the hell is this? And they'll start making antibodies and whatnot they'll, they'll start an immune response uh so the virus can make you feel pretty crappy because you'll feel like you're sick you're, you'll get the rundown 
feeling of, oh crap, like I got to fight off this thing. But, um, yeah, the, it's the cell damage that, uh, that they're avoiding by just making the protein spikes, not the entire virus. Hopefully that made some sense. I don't, <laughs> I don't even know. It does. It helps. Um, it, it's a vastly complicated issue. Uh, some people are worried that, you know, the FDA, it takes a long time to approve a vaccine. Yes. For good reason. It needs a lot of testing. This has been rushed, and not only has it been rushed, but this is a double, uh, you know, a double-edged blade here. It's been rushed, and it's a new vaccine. It's an RNA vaccine. Yep. Um, so typically— We were joking earlier about, yeah. our, you know, body parts changing and things of that sort. Um, but is there—do you see any potential dangers of this vaccine, or is it just simply not known, the long-term effects? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I mean— I haven't uh, I haven't had any reactions or any negative side effects so far. I've heard there's lots of joking going around. Uh, um, the the worst that I've heard from anybody is they feel fatigued sometimes. Especially, it's going to be interesting to see. I'll have to update you guys when I get the second second round. Um, but that's the one that apparently gives you more of an immune response. Because that first shot they gave me for the Pfizer vaccine, it, it put the protein in, you know, the RNA to start making that, that protein. But your body, in the, if, in most cases I'm hearing, has the reaction to it once you get the second dose. It's like, hey, more of this guy. I've seen this guy before. I know how to kill it. Kind of thing. So I'll have to let you guys know how that goes. Um, I think I'm going to feel a little more run down and sick after the second one, but hopefully it uh, it uh, gives me a, a resistance to it, you know. Hmm. That'll be interesting to hear. Perhaps we can have you on a follow-up episode. Um, yeah, and 20 years down the line, they'll start playing the, if you were involved in the COVID-19 vaccine, you may be <laughs> responsible or <laughs> eligible for financial compensation. Uh, yeah, um, dude. So Let's people see. are worried about this uh, altering your DNA because it's an RNA vaccination. Is there any truth to that? Uh, I don't. I don't feel like it's going to alter your DNA. Your cells okay. are pretty straightforward on what they do. They they see some information like, "Hey, there's a segment of RNA. I'm gonna I'm gonna build what it what it teaches me to build." <laughs> so if it's, we were creating armor, it's not changing. It's not turning your skin into like Spider-Man armor. It's just putting a piece of armor on your body it's separate uh yeah yeah okay. that's a it's a pretty good way of i guess uh looking at it it's, it shouldn't be it's not going to be changing your uh your dna i don't think i don't think it will <laughs> interesting uh, it's it's very interesting it's very new uh i'm sure people who are uh in the danger you know in the danger zone um Probably, you know, if you're 75 years, if I'm 75 years old and I have asthma and I'm overweight mm -hmm. uh, and I have a, a lot of risk factors, I'm not really going to be too worried about the risk of this vaccine if it's going to help me live longer than I would if I got COVID. Um, so I could see it from that perspective. It is, it's just an interesting time. It's, it, it's very rushed mm -hmm. uh, on purpose. That's true. Um, but that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean... We necessarily cut every corner. We just don't know. Uh, maybe they 
they they pour it was like nasa going to the moon they poured a lot of resources into this it wasn't a typical vaccine we just don't know um but is there anything else that you do know of the vaccine that you want to share uh one thing that i've heard a lot is that yes it's rushed it's a new type of vaccine that's all very true um there has been a lot of research though uh regarding rna and how to use it as a virus or as a uh you know, as a vaccine against no, the No, you virus. said it. That's what it is. It's a new virus. <laughs> They're going to clip that segment and play it. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> so I, I know some research has uh, a decent amount has gone into it. So I'm, you know, I'm feeling pretty optimistic. But uh, every, to each their own, you know. Uh, a lot of my coworkers aren't taking it, you know. We got 300, so uh, we got about 300 Pfizer vaccines. Uh delivered right at the beginning uh, about a week ago wow and all 300 of them got used um and i i initially wasn't gonna get it i i saw some of my coworkers straight up flip the coin they're like uh do i get it do i not let's see heads or tails boop heads okay i'm getting it some of my some of my coworkers did that um because it's it's true it, it was rushed it's a little bit you know scary <laughs> What kind of side effects could you have, you know? Well, I think uh, there's some unknowns there. Yeah, yeah, the big one I heard was um, uh, dealing with the protein Syntesin 1. Do you know anything about that? Mm, no. Don't think All so. Right, well, what I heard was that the, the protein produced by the vaccine is Syntesin 1. And it's the same protein um, that uh, the, the female body uses to to generate um, I, I'm pulling from the back of my brain now, but it is used to uh, build the placenta in in the uterus, mm. um, and that's the concern that that the protein will um, either not allow them to do that anymore or uh, inhibit that for a period of time. Um, I know there were some warnings on um, on pregnancy you know, up to or following the, uh, the issuance of the vaccine. Um, but I think what we kind of have to understand is, is that one, you have complete control over what goes in your body. I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, um, for the people who, who need to take the virus, you I said it, to, I, I hate to say it, <laughs> but, um, there, there are guinea pigs. They're going to be the ones who kind of are the long-term. This this virus yep. did not go through animal testing. Mm-hmm. Um, they pushed this thing hard. And and for good measure. I mean, based on what we've heard from you um, tonight, I mean, it, we we need something. We need boots on the ground now. Um, yeah. um, to the extent to which, I mean, 350,000 people, you know, is not the predicted uh, fatality rate. Um, but you know, uh, when it's, when you're talking about one life, uh, I don't know how you put a, uh, put a plug on that, but, yeah. um, but I think, I think that we're just going to really just rolling the dice on this and we're going to need people like you who are, are like elbow deep, you know, shoulder deep in this stuff to come back and be like, um, nope it's totally safe. We're not seeing anything unusual or yeah, here's some, a group of people that really need to, uh, 
to be careful about, you know, participating in this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, <laughs> I know the military is kind of the part of the guinea pigs as well. Well, they don't get a choice. They, yeah, they, like, they, they, sign, they sign the paperwork. They, <laughs> Take you know, this or are. die. That's, right. <laughs> That's something else I wanted to ask you about. Um, there's rumors of something called a Freedom Pass in the UK. I know we've talked about this before on the show. Yeah. Um, where if you want to go on the bus or if you want to go to a concert or fly in a plane, you need to have a vaccine card in your wallet saying, hey, I've taken this vaccine. Um, so you're saying that uh, at this point in time, uh, January 2021, that medical staff in your area are not being forced to take this vaccine to continue to work. Is that correct? That's correct. We do. They do keep track of who didn't take it, though. That's I find that kind of interesting. Um, okay. They keep yeah, like the kids who didn't get picked from the dodgeball team. <laughs> they keep close eyes. So if you don't if you don't take the uh, vaccine, they send out an email to all my all the staff at the hospital saying, uh, "Fill this out, explaining your reasons for not taking it, and let us know." And I don't know, you know, could just be data or whatever. I'm I'm not sure what they're doing with all that information, but they do want to know who didn't take it, who did take it, what your reasons were for not hmm. taking it. That's extremely interesting. Now, do you that see anything else coming down uh, the pipeline uh, in that regard of whether we might be forced at one point to take this vaccine? Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I, I don't feel like they're going to force us. Uh, if they want a civil war, they can force us, dude. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, you can't. You know, that's ridiculous. The whole you need this pass to to take a bus or go to a concert. That's insane. Like if we get to that point, I feel like they're they're pushing it. <laughs> they're gonna well, have problems. A lot of Americans like to say that, and I'm one of those people that defend the Constitution. But here's the you know the reality is is that a year ago, two years ago, we would have said those same things. Same, Two years ago, we might have said those same things about the freedoms that were taken away this year. It's almost like a test. And uh, the American people are being pushed around, and a lot of them aren't walking the walk. I'm not saying they should. I'm not not even saying what the walk is. But people used to defend these rights and say, if they did this, I'm going to do that. Everybody's been pushed around. Their freedoms were taken away, and nothing really happened. I'm not saying it should, but um, so when does it stop? Yeah, there is a huge rally happening yeah. January 6th, um, but what effect does it have? Um, it's not having much of an effect. That's just the brutal reality of it. These politicians are sort of laughing in our faces as they take away freedom after freedom. And everybody's just saying uh, on Facebook they rant about it, but in reality they say, thank you, may I have another? <laughs> um, so, you know, at what point does it stop? And that's why I'm curious, not on hearsay, but hearing on what's – the politic and the political environment is at your work and uh, here in Southern California in the medical community because we are a forerunner, whether you're in the police or if you're in the medical community or if you're a politician, the things we do here historically kind of stretch across the United States to follow. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I find that very interesting and I'm yeah. curious on what this year has to hold. Yeah, yeah, we'll see, man. Uh, a lot of people are not happy with Gavin Newsom uh, you know, our governor here and, uh, well, the governors are being hypocrites. Yeah. You know, there's pictures coming out of them at their parties and they're keeping their wineries open and all this stuff. And it, it's sickening. <laughs> it I really heard recently, now this is alleged. I am not saying this is fact. I am not saying I believe this, but I heard recently 
that China bought Gavin Newsom a three million dollar mansion. <laughs> um, now that that's a real offshore property, hole. of course, of course. It, it, it's scary uh, if that's true, but um, our politicians have failed us, in my opinion, in a lot of ways, and I hope they can start either leaving office or start representing the people. We'll see what happens there. Um, but yeah. regarding the vaccine, regarding just this whole situation or your experience, is there anything you want to add to this entire cam- uh, conversation, Andrew? Anything that you feel, feel we, we perhaps missed? Um, I think we covered a pretty good amount of, uh, of information today. Uh, there's, there's more things that are going to roll out throughout the year, more information and talking points. Uh, yeah, there are, (laughs) there's a lot of just unrest right now with politics and all that. And talking about term limits, people are in office too long. They don't, they're not connected with uh with the people and things like that yeah it definitely there is nuance to the conversation because it has a lot of moving parts yeah i mean that's probably one of the the you know the greatest parts of this scheme is the amount of things um that are moving in opposite directions Mm -hmm. yeah now there's an interesting story kind of speaking of that a little bit of the effect this has had in our society uh your wife Christine uh, was on the news recently. NBC Palm Springs. Uh, I, I understand that she was mm-hmm. denied a flight because your two or two year old son wouldn't wear a mask. Yeah. Uh, so they shipped your luggage and they left her stranded uh, with no replacement flight. Um. So what happened there? What? Uh, I'm very interested in the story. Yeah, man. So <laughs> that was a whole ordeal, and a lot of I'm not the only one who's who's going through it either. A lot of people have, have run into this problem. It's been on the news a few times, but, uh, unfortunately it, uh, it happened to me. So my wife had to travel, which, you know, traveling is kind of a difficult thing right now, but sh- we're, you know, be as safe as you can. Um, so she traveled out to Maryland. She had to, uh, go out for a job, um, because uh, yeah, things are things are difficult right now. She wants to work, but uh, there's not a whole lot of opportunity. But uh, she she found a job that she's she's interested in. It's uh, sales online, and my sister does it. So she was really going out there to uh, train for the job with my sister. That's where she okay. lives. So she uh, yeah she took my son with her because. I work uh, 12-hour shifts. There's there's just no way I could we could uh, have somebody watch him for that long. She had to take him with her. Uh, so she, uh, yeah, she flew out to Maryland. She didn't, here's the thing, like, she didn't have any issues flying out. She wore a mask. She had hand sanitizer, all that stuff, made sure that my kid stayed in his seat, didn't run around and touch things, you know. Uh, but my kid's two. He's not going to. Some people can get their two-year-old to wear a mask, and it's like a miracle. But uh, most two-year-olds aren't going to wear a mask. Like, come on. And understandably so. Yeah, like, what are you putting on my face? No way. He's he's just right. not going to – he would not wear it. Um, So it was kind of concerning, you know, what are they going to do? But the thing is, is when we flew out, when they flew out, they didn't have a problem. Uh, 
the airlines like, oh, okay, come on. Um, she was out there for a week or so, a couple weeks. And, uh, yeah, then when she was trying to fly back, that's when, uh, she ran into all the problems with, uh, Southwest was the airline. I'll say it. <laughs> so South, be, Southwest airline. The uh, culprits. Yeah. yeah. Those guys were like, she gets to the airport. She checks on her suitcase, everything. Uh, a lot of luggage, a lot of, uh, cause she's, she's selling products, you know, so that's another part of what she was doing out there. She was getting her, her supply of, of, uh, products she's going to be selling online through this job. So just to clarify, Southwest, Southwest Air not, Southwest Airlines, uh, is what she flew in on. They did not have a problem. It was the same company flying back that they seemed to change their mind. Is that um, correct so far? I would have to ask what airline she flew in on. I'm okay. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure she flew in on the same airline, though. I'm not going to say that 100% at this point. It would make sense. That's how people usually buy their tickets yeah, round yeah. trip. Um, Makes sense okay. to me. <laughs> I'll, yeah. have to double, I'll have to double check with her. Um, but, yeah, so flying back, the the worst thing they did, like, they, they could have said, hey, um, we're not going to check your luggage on because your son doesn't have a mask. And, yeah, you know, that's still a big inconvenience. But the thing is, is they checked her luggage and uh, put it on the plane. And then when she got on the plane, that's when they said, you have to get off and we're not going to get your luggage off for you. And, uh, you know, it's devastating because that's all of her luggage. That's all of her, her clothes, her jacket. It's snowing outside and they kicked her off that plane with nothing. Unbelievable. Yeah. It's really messed up. They sent her luggage to California. I had to pick it up, but, (laughs) but not her, you know? So, so her and my kid are stuck in Maryland, uh, in the freezing cold. And, uh, luckily, um, my sister lives fairly close. They still had to, uh, drive a ways to go back and get them. And it was just a huge ordeal. Um, so basically what ended up happening is, uh, they contacted Delta and changed the flight to Delta. It took a few days. Uh, cost a little bit more. It's just kind of an inconvenience, man. But they changed the flight, and Delta was more receptive. On top of that, they got a so stupid. They they had to get a doctor's note saying, "Hey, my two year old won't wear a mask." <laughs> That's like, absurd. It's it's ridiculous. So they got the doctor's note saying he doesn't tolerate a mask, and the, they're like, "Oh, okay, yeah, come on on." So that's how it is, man. It's it's so stupid. You gotta get a doctor's note saying he's not gonna wear it. <laughs> it's insane. That's interesting. So she got on the news. Uh, how did that go? Were they just asking her what happened? Yeah, uh, they just uh, they've probably seen online a few few cases of this. A lot of people. There's a few videos that went pretty viral about it. So once they heard that it had happened to my wife. Uh, they contacted her and, uh, somebody, somebody had shared her Facebook post online or, you know, to a friend, uh, who, who I guess sent it into, uh, the news network and then they contacted her. So 
But yeah, they just kind of asked her to go over what happened. They they just kind of laid out what the situation was and reported on it. But interesting. So did you guys get a refund for that flight or was it just gone? Yes, luckily they did get a refund. Um the the biggest inconvenience was leaving her with no luggage <laughs> and letting her fly out but not fly back like what's the deal Away from her family right yeah uh, and they had no assurance to protect her luggage if you didn't show up it was up in the air right I assume. yeah okay so i had to hope That's it was bad. there <laughs> now it seems if they were truly uh concerned about safety they would rip out half those seats and make everybody sit six feet away i mean how effective yeah. is that mask at that point scientifically it's not like come on even the that, CDC said that if you're in close proximity to anybody for more than 15 minutes, the mask is utterly useless. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep seeing memes online and stuff of people waiting in line to get on the airplane that they have the six feet apart stickers. And then when you're on the airplane, you're inches apart, touching. Right. You know, it's like, come on. It's so stupid. Right. And like, just for the record, everybody, I mean, this is opinions. Andrew isn't saying that this is the opinion of his hospital. This isn't uh, any official guidelines. This is just some guys talking about their experiences and their opinions. So uh, this is art, okay? So <laughs> don't mistake this as, you know, any health any health changes you want to make or any perceptions you want to make, you need to talk to your doctor. Yeah, but, this is our, our oral interpretive dance. Oh, yes, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> um, and it's been this has been awesome uh, i really appreciate you hopping on here uh andrew hopefully we can do a follow-up in a month or whatever that time may be i'd really be interested to hear how things go yeah absolutely uh, yeah, thanks for having me on you guys after all your hair falls out <laughs> once i'm fluent in russian from the from the vaccine and Ni hao, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, next episode, we'd like to dedicate this episode in memory of Andrew. <laughs> uh, well, cool. Uh, I don't think we've missed anything. This has been almost two hours now, and it's been rock solid. In fact, I feel like I've you know, heard some more information on this podcast than almost anything else I've listened to, if yeah. not everything else. And uh, it's been in- incredibly enlightening. Yeah, you folks listening out there, if you have any questions for Andrew, you can just drop a comment and uh and we'll we'll get back. We'll we'll cover those on our follow-up. Absolutely. Yeah. Sounds good to me. Yeah, I think I have a an interesting perceptive uh or perspective, I should say, uh <laughs> working in the hospital, you know. But uh yeah, there's still like I was saying earlier, there's still just so much information to be to be gathered still about you know what's going to happen with this freaking virus but well it sounds like there's some hope there always has been hope as we always know if you're breathing there's hope but uh there's been some positives uh information knowledge is power you know Mm -hmm. and uh it's really good i appreciate you coming on to the show um like john said if you guys have any questions leave it down below uh we appreciate you guys listening in and we will catch you guys next podcast. See you later.